Do link or not do link is a cheesy rephrasing of a classic Shakespearean quote that we're just using as a jumping off point for a little thought experiment tonight. It has been long said that the Buddha said life is suffering, but he never actually said that. And what he meant was actually more like life entails suffering or involves suffering or contains suffering. But hearing the quote, when I first heard the misquote of the Buddha, life is suffering, what is that? What is that nature of life that people resist? Because an important concept of Buddhism and the reason he might be saying that, and the reason so many people repeat that phrase is that it's an acknowledgement of something powerful and it challenges you to question the nature of life itself and the path that you are on. What is this gift of human consciousness? And it led me to a sort of personal rephrasing and an understanding of my own life philosophy, my own spirituality, if you will, and that life is effort. Because I've heard people rephrase life as suffering, life is struggle. Struggle to survive, struggle to eat, struggle, blah, 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 whatever. So struggles, competition, you know, life against death. And it's like, yeah, yeah that, that, that also suggests, and you don't want to struggle in your entire life. That sounds, that sounds like too close to suffering. What, what is struggle without the suffering part? What could be a noble, glorious, righteous, fun way to struggle? Inside for, you know, some glorious, righteous cause, but it's to make an effort. That is the essence of life. Now, give me a second here. I'm actually, we're going to read some corny definitions off of, uh, you know, dictionary.com. What does it mean to be alive? Right? I look at the definition. Alive, definition. The first thing, by the way, this is, this is duckduckgo.com. I'm not Googling this shit. Having life, synonym living, in existence or operation active, full of living or moving things, abounding. Three definitions for Alive. Some of them are going to be alive, some of them are going to be dead. But I know having life, that's the very first definition of alive, is having life. And in that sense, it could be a binary function. Either you're alive or you're dead. Right? But I mean, if, if, if I'm going to accept this as a definition for alive, I have to have a working definition, at least for my own satisfaction. What is life? I mean, it sounds almost like, you know, circular logic. There's no holes in it, uh, as George W. would have said. But having life, you know, alive is having life. Well, what is life? The property or quality that distinguishes living organisms from dead organisms and inanimate matter manifested in functions such as metabolism, growth, reproduction, and response to stimuli or adaptations to the environment originating from within the organism, definition one. Definition two, the characteristic state or condition of a living organism. Three, living organisms considered as a group. Let's go back to definition one. Property or quality. You ever have an experience that you come out of going, ah, feel so alive? Well, then, you could be more alive. Stop it, Joey. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so obviously, the, the, this quality of being alive, this, this, this function of life, in a way it can be measured. 
right? Or it could be quantified. It could be, you could be scaled. You could be more alive or less alive. And so then you think, well, I, I want to be alive. I want to live in crescendo. I want to live in power. I want to live in love, right? I want to be more alive, not less alive. So what is it? And this gets us to thinking. Because there's something about the nature of intelligent life itself that we see in the progress of modern human history. That my fans are sick of hearing me quoting through the work of Steven Pinker, professor at Harvard, professor at Harvard, author of Better Angels of Our Nature, did a great TED talk on the subject called The Surprising Decline in Violence, in which he shows that, shows that human violence, irrefutably, academically, is, is, is on a decline over the course of modern human history. In fact, going back, all of human history that can be traced. You go back, violence goes up. Almost exponentially when you do it in reverse like that. And you go, what is this, what is this progress towards? And if it's less violence, I know this is only a single metric or combination of metrics that Professor Fisher put together to come up with this beautiful curve of the decline in violence over human history. But what is that an increase of? Harmony, coordination. And to me, that seems inherent to the nature of life itself. Then it seeks complexity. It seeks deliberateness. It seeks even the creation of independent will, of consciousness. All the way from multi-celled organisms, be out single-celled organisms, all the way up to human societies that cooperate are going to outcompete human societies that are always engulfed in conflict. No shit, right? So what is that critical difference? Thinking. Back to DuckDuckGo.com for a think definition. To have or formulate in the mind, definition one, two. To reason about or reflect on. To ponder. Definition three, to decide by reasoning, reflection, or pondering. So to have a formulate in the mind, that doesn't really help us. We're thinking about the term think. How's that for a self-contained, who knows what you want to call that. We are thinking about the definition of the word think as an active, engaged activity that is fundamentally connected to being alive. We all know that at least all conscious and really all essential living organisms know certain things, right? Can I eat it? Can I fuck it? Will it kill me? There's certain basic shit baked in to the nature of life struggling to survive. But I think it comes down to that effort, that consciousness. And part of the gift of human consciousness is you get to think about thinking. You have a presence of mind. You are not some dumb beast of burden driven by nothing but instincts. No. You have that gift of reason. So to think or not to think, you don't really have a choice. But if you want to think less, you can. And we see, even in modern society, almost a cliche lamentation that Oh my gosh, kids these days, they don't know how to think about anything. 
And there are people who think and people who don't. People who think for themselves are people who let others or their instincts or their bodies or their physical circumstances do their thinking for them. And the reason we're talking about this tonight actually is by a request from Mr. Liberty in our producers club. And he said, society is polarizing. And this is a four, I gotta give credit from Storm Clouds Gathering. I'm a fan of his channel too, by the way. Society is polarizing between those who think for themselves and those who follow authority, no matter how absurd its demands become. This conformist demographic is headed for a Darwinian moment. The same just need to avoid being taken along for the ride. Think about that, that. It's a book, right? The Time Machine, where the, the human race splits off into two different species, and there's like the fat, fluffy land dwellers, and like that creepy, bug-eyed creatures that live under the ground. If you understand evolution, it's not surprising to think that, yes, humanity could fork. I'm not suggesting that. I don't, I don't believe that's really true, but in, in a deep social, I don't think it's going to happen at a fundamental genetic divergence level. Could be wrong. I don't, I don't care to make a call on that. But they're really much more optimistic. And I'm really optimistic because of technology. Technology cuts both ways, right? It's empowering, fundamentally empowering for humanity. And our fundamental nature is to love and protect and to help each other. But at the same time, we know we have seen the great destructive power in technology assist government in pursuing its evil ends. But there are so many technologies that we take for granted when we think about the condition of the human mind surrounded by technology with access to the internet in the modern world. I mean, in the past, when I could think about things and engage, and that would determine sort of my spiritual orientation, how enthusiastic I was for life. But now we are empowered in a new way. We have devices. Sadly, we have seen them turned into crutches used as anesthetic to avoid that suffering inherent in life. But again, I think if you see that suffering as just a part of life, as the Buddha probably intended his original words to be taken, and he embraced this core idea that the nature of life and what makes life worth living is is engagement. It's a kind of struggle. But really at its essence, it's effort. And what's the difference for a human with this gift of human consciousness? To think or not to think is whether to choose as a human being to be fully alive or not. And given what we are facing today as a species, we need all the brains we can get. That sounds like a zombie saying that, didn't it? I didn't mean it that way. We need all of you. We need everyone engaged. Without you, humanity can't meet our potential as a whole global human family. So I hope that this little thought exercise about thinking has encouraged you to be much more conscientious in the composition of your mind and what that means for the spiritual effort of being truly, fully, lovingly engaged in this gift 
of human life and human consciousness. And today is March 23rd, 2022. Hey, dear, I got through that in 12 minutes, but you didn't think that was possible. That's incredible. Yeah, you got that, Molly. You were the topic for today's show. And you're like, yeah, we'll be starting with 30. Adam's going to run over his guests, isn't he? Uh, no, no, no. We got that one out. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, Mr. Liberty, and uh, Storm Clouds Gathering for inspiring that opening monologue. I think that's a, a good umbrella for looking at the world today, looking at, you know, well, we had a party this past weekend, so we, we got to do producer's notes and smoke weed every day, but we have puppies to introduce. We had a, I wasn't invited. Yeah. <laughs> Were you? The party. Oh, the party. The party this weekend? Yeah. The one you threw. Yeah, that Yeah, you won't be invited. I will right. get invited. Oh. Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but with that, let's uh, let's get our producer, Jim, and Smoke weed and then get the puppies up here while uh, while Jim does the producing. What's going on? I just want to start by saying that intro was very thoughtful. I could tell you thought it through. Well done. All right. We have more big news in the world of mustaches than Adam versus falling nicely. And it has inspired Jim to pursue the same. He's in that suit strainer phase of the mustache that is unavoidable. I, I got my imported. It feels nice except for Joey when I kiss her in the morning. But but when it's parted out, like, and, and I get, like, sweet and stuff. But when I'm straight down and, like, hit my lower lip, I could blow the weed through it like a smoke screen. You can't, now I just yeah. have this little hole. Yeah, yeah. Cool. saves the smoke. I, I, I don't know why, but I'm addicted to like fluffing it up too and just letting it like stick up in all kinds of wild directions. And I can see it, you know, down off my nose. It's, I don't know, it's like airing it out and I'll spread it up like this. And then I just and then I'll brush it back down later. I can't contribute to the mustache. Well, you know, you live in a shitty place where humans were never meant to live, namely Phoenix, Arizona. Sure. I mean, it's really hot and dry, so I can imagine a little uh, little air cooling, take the edge off that hot outside air if you keep your mustache damp. You know, it'd be like a really nice knee swamp cooler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't had it this long during a summer out here yet either, so we'll see what happens. Well, it's supposed right? If you do it right, I mean, people say like, "Oh, well, you're, we got." By the way, we got our friend Eden Donabella, master mechanic from Texas, hanging out. Who was here this past week in the studio? Also, a grown-up beer. If you want to like stick your head in the shot here, oh you want to show off the beer? Oh, there he is. Okay. All right, there he is. Yeah, um, and even like hot, swampy weather too. But I think having a beard doesn't like except in limited overall, like it makes you cooler and keeps you warmer. I like it. Yeah, yeah. 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 You have a shape to look there. Yeah. Speaking of which, Snake Scar, why this comment, Joey? Um, cause here we are again. Well, we the first. LOL, it's been a while. You changed. I think it's the t-shirt. Maybe you used to wear a button up. It's the LOL. It's been a while part. Like, oh. just, just go back to your ridiculous show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm never going to recover that audience. Just like, stay in the shot. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and also on the table over there, 
Also, we got to give an update. We got to talk about that. The, the, uh, Nick Scar brings up the uh, perfect point to remind everybody that we are on Odyssey right now. Primarily. Yes. So if you haven't seen us in a while because you're not on Odyssey, head on over there and join the stuff and do the thing. Oh, before we forget, we have two awesome guests tonight. Before we get into producer notes, two awesome guests for our show. We got Jay Nygaard, the turbine guy, who normally would be here to talk about wind turbines and solar panels and off-grid energy and all that cool shit. He was running for governor of Minnesota as a libertarian. I didn't even know this. I'm excited about that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm endorsing him, obviously, uh, both for the LP nomination and then for the general. Uh, I mean, we know him from working with him, from him coming out here to visit and install a turbine and being uh, a, a work trade sponsor with that, essentially, the show for six months. And just being a great addition to the show, but you know, as, as a uh, a man of principle and a man of character and a man of organization, and you know, uh, and, and the courage to stand up to injustice through his own civil disobedience with the turbines, I'm really excited to, to hear how Jay Nygaard, the turbine guy, translates to Jay Nygaard, libertarian for governor of Minnesota. Also, we have Lieutenant Governor of Georgia candidate Ryan Graham. And I for, I wonder why he's running. We're going to find out why he's running for lieutenant governor instead of governor. He's certainly qualified. I assume it's because he's got someone on the ticket for the LP in Georgia who he wanted to let have that higher position. Um, speaking of higher positions, are we still going to believe you? Higher position. Um, Ryan Graham, I know from, I think, through the LP before, but at least the earliest days of uh, the 2020 presidential campaign when he was chair of LP Georgia. And hosted the one debate that I won decisively. Or the one big anyway. Uh, LP George's live debate. That was really fun. Um, so he's running for lieutenant governor of Georgia. I'm really excited to hear. I, don't know, I hope I. I mean, of course, every time I have an LP candidate on, I'm going to give him a chance to introduce himself, tell a story, talk about why they're running, and, and sample their messaging, and, and you know, talk about how it's going to play. But Ryan, I'm gonna, we're going to get like sucked into LP political shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's get this out of the way. LP disrespect for authorities watching on Odyssey and says that Shane Hazel is running for governor of Georgia. That's so it. That and it's because why... that's, a, that's an all-star team. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much for that update. We'll probably get into that a little bit with Lyon as well. But Shane Hazel is a military combat veteran, top of the ticket. Uh, going to be awesome there. He's got a great media production. I should know if I'm going to say what the name is. We interact on Twitter every now and then, me and Shane. He's the one who coined the term murder cult to describe the U.S. military, and it's, it's irrefutable, really cuts to the heart of the truth. It's true. They, the purpose of the military is to kill people. Holy shit, that's his loud snoring. Can you hear that? Yeah, can, can you hear a funny snoring in the background? All right. They're loud. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, having Ryan Graham on... Uh, in in uh, an hour and ten minutes, and Jay in ten minutes. So, Joe, you want to get the two new little ones while Jim does the producing? Sweet. Okay. Well, everybody, look over here. Don't pay attention to what my left hand is doing. You can join <laughs> t.me forward slash Adam versus the man. That's a free public Telegram channel. Uh, it's got access and great links to all kinds of other great channels in the libertarian community. So definitely get yourself involved and make that one of your first channels that you join it. If you're just joining Telegram, if you want to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Adam versus the man. And as always, we're still showing support for Helmfrontbattlebuddies.org. 
the organization that's eventually going to end the need for combat veterans in the first place. So please visit all the links, read all the shit, click all the buttons, and donate all the theft deductible funds that you have available. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy the show. All right. Well, hey, we had a little update on this past weekend here in Virginia. Joey, you can see her butt over there sticking yeah, out. Yeah. Of the <laughs> It looks good. Looks really good. All right. Oh, there she is. So we had we had a fun little birthday party, a little late birthday party for me here. It was a camping party this past weekend. And Joe, we have to hold hold off off these. Um anyway. Uh, one of the fun things I want to say is we, we advertised mushrooms and we, we ran out early. There's a lot of a lot of hungry mushroom eaters here. Uh, but thanks to my best 40th birthday gift, I had two grams. It was, it was enough. It was a lot. It's a lot of DMT. That's like, I mean, enough for oh, wow. 50, 60 launches. I think you right. Yeah. We gave people over the last few days, with, up to our last session today, something like 40, 50 launches out of that session. There's still some left. This is really sad. People, I want to say, this, this is uh, something we want to integrate into the. Am I that boring, Magic? Really? All right. Um, <laughs> the he, he was yawning on, on the one time he had to get up on camera to yawn. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I can put the audience to sleep. Anyway, so uh, we had so much fun, and, and I uh, that, that some of my friends were jokingly calling me the shaman this weekend, and I want to take the opportunity to refute that because, but but also brag that I'm getting really good at, at helping people with DMT. Um, but I'd say I'm administering or facilitating or guiding. Now, it's really important for me as a distinction that in that role, what I'm encouraging, what I'm what I'm facilitating is self-shaman. So if someone out, outside says, here, let me give you drugs and get in your head, and I know that not every shaman does that, and the term shaman is used in a lot of ways, but I don't even want to try to take that on because of this particular line, that a shaman takes an active role in healing you. I won't do that. I will take an active role in assisting you and empowering you to heal yourself. So I'll hold the bong, I'll hold the lighter, we'll dose it out, we'll make sure it's a safe stash, make sure you're in a safe environment, and trips it while you're doing whatever you're doing here. Uh, but it was it was really awesome, something we want to develop as part of the guard. We're going to build a separate building just for DMT trips. Yeah. Cool but anyway, yeah, so donate Bitcoin. Donate Bitcoin. We're going to go shopping on the Silk Road and be able to host more uh, I mean, I, our parties here, they're not wild parties. They're quiet, but they're wild with intense experiences. Very celebratory. Yeah. Lifted. Jim was here for most of it. He can attest. Had a lot of fun helping me with the big bonfire ceremony, lighting 19 bonfires in a row. Wait, one went off by itself. So, I mean, 18. <laughs> but it was, Jim, uh, we'll be releasing that footage on the Gardenia channel. This one's so, getting impatient. All right, all right, we got to introduce our puppies. Saturday, we went for the walk, the abandoned meth lab tour of Ashford. And at the third stop, we where there's a 40 foot trailer, it looks like it's blown out in a meth lab explosion with a house built around it that's that's collapsing now. Underneath it, we found eight of these oh adorable God. little fur balls. This is the magic. It's tiger. I don't know if you can see this is the magic kokesh. And the Duchess of Dang. And so we found eight of these, and, and they, they, I mean, they could be, I don't want to presume, I assume they're mixed Pyrenees, actually, probably lab Pyrenees mix, that's what, what Dank looks like for sure. This guy looks like he could be a, a purebred Pyrenees, great Pyrenees puppy, but he is so young, I mean, he's like 
somewhere in the, in the like four to five week range, maybe even three weeks, impossible thing. Because we were there three weeks before this these are on the be same walk, and we didn't see anything. So muffles, these, sure these guys are going to be some monsters. And so we are now the tribe of eight dogs. And very excited that all of our all of these puppies found good homes already. And uh, in case anybody's wondering, hey, see, say hi, Magic. Hi, Magic. Good oh, boy. Wave. Wave to everybody. Oh, and a good boy, Magic. Are you want to look at the camera? So look at those pretty blue eyes. He's so fluffy. Such a perfect furball. So okay, buddy. Go right now with your sisters. Such a good boy. But yeah, it was really awesome. That we were able to get, uh, and Jim, uh, Jim was there. Why am I forgetting that? Jim was a huge help in the puppy rescue itself. Uh, but shout out to Quinn Aker uh, at the end with a big heroic dive under the window to pull out the last puppy. Uh, but we did it. We got all eight of them safely out. And, and just about the circumstance, I mean, when you find an abandoned litter of puppies, technically on someone else's property, you know, there's certain responsibilities. But this was very, very, very abandoned property. Very, oh, Jim's got video. He can, that's my hand out of the, where I busted the wheel well on that trailer that is our uh, abandoned meth lab, stop number three on the tour. I'm luring them with food leftovers, and uh, we got most of them that way, but the last one refused to come out. And actually, for the last three, we had to jack that trailer up on its side edge. And the house attached to it was like, I already had the roof caved in, but the frame and stuff and drywall, sorts of crazy shit up there was like crumbling as we're doing this, bringing it down. Oh, there's me feeding one of the puppies some turkey leftovers. Oh, what a sweet puppers. Yeah, so Jim actually got me the magic, because uh, Quinn named his dog Puff. Another one's Dragon, so mine's the magic. So if all three of them get together, you can say, Puff the magic dragon, come here. And it's not because you actually have a pet dragon. Uh, but Jim, Jim's in there, got the fifth one out. That was magic. And he was the only one. It was like freaking out. He wouldn't even let me like hold him. I had to put him on the ground and calm him down. But as soon as I did, like he was bonded to me, and you could tell. And, and it's, it's kind of sad that these puppies could nurse a little bit longer. Uh, but here's the thing. Even for giant breed dogs, and maybe even especially if they're out in this area and they're strays and they have a litter like that, they're probably not going to be able to scavenge enough food to feed them once they get to the size they were when we found them or to create the milk to keep nursing. So a lot of them end up abandoned. But even if they try to stay with them, it's like 99% odds they're coyote food or they're going to starve. So... Finding them out there was a legitimate rescue, and uh, man, it was it was it was quiet. It took me a second to process all that. I'm like, who's dogs are these? Oh fuck! Look where we are. <laughs> you know, these dogs are coyote food if we don't grab them. Um, so it was it was really cool, Jim. Thank you for being a part of that. Um, I mean, unforgettable, epic experience. And I'm I'm a three dog man again. Thalmo Louise and the Magic. You're muted still, Jim. But go ahead. What were you going to say before we get our guest on? Uh, well, I was just saying how uh, that was an unforgettable experience, and I'll never forget it. And It was awesome. Yeah, and Falco was there to help. For those who don't know, Jim is, is, is definitely a dog man. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, Conquer yeah. had a good time. My theory was the last three stayed down there because they were their the rest of their siblings had just gotten escaped and they couldn't see them or hear them, so they were all scared, you know. But once they got out, like the one you took, the once they got out and realized, oh, okay, these aren't a threat, you know, they were happy. They were they were all snuggles during their bath, their first. Yeah, bath. they got a bath right away. Uh, they got they got food. They got puppy formula. And oh, they're living the dream right now. They're being treated like royalty. They're loving. Yeah. It. Oh yeah. From like being well, they went from being born in like a freezing wind, uh, you know, from th at least three weeks ago. It was it was snow on the ground out here. Oh, there they are again. Just this one. Oh, magic and dang dang. All right, good puppies. Thanks for joining our epic adventure here in Gardenia. They're going to be the Gardenia guard dogs. Um, even if they're not Pyrenees at all or purebred Pyrenees, just based on, like, you can tell how old they are from their teeth and their, their claws and their, and their, their gentle step and, and how comfortable they are walking. And it's actually really smart for whining when they need to go to the bathroom. Like, we had to drive one of our guests all the way back to the Vegas airport. I did that. A little bit of an accident. I was just going to be dropping in Kingman for a shuttle, and then that fell through. Thanks, COVID. I mean, Biden. I mean, Zelensky. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so I ended up driving him all the way to Vegas, and he whined twice to get out and go to the bathroom, and he did. And it was great. And he, was, he, he didn't go potty in my car. So, yeah, pretty amazing. Very smart. All right, we have, uh, we have, do we have our guests ready? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Nygaard is, right. is uh, backstage. Turbine guy is backstage, so let's do it. All right, well, we're going to come back with some fun stuff with G.I. Mary Jane and Jim later on the show to cover some new stuff. There's no good news. World War III is kicking off. Who cares? No important things. Are we supposed Thanks to bring a going. dish to the revolution? Yeah, yeah we need to joke. This weekend it wasn't my birthday party. Thank you for coming to our World War III kickoff party. <laughs> uh, that was a lot of fun. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, our first guest tonight is none other than Jay Nygaard, the turbine guy. You know him from Adam versus the Man. You know him from GoGreenEnergyOnline.com. You know him as the installer of the awesome turbine here in Gardenia. And really encourage everybody to check out this website. Just as a great resource for off-grid energy in general. And I can attest, I just, I, I, I couldn't give. Uh, I, I mean, we can go over your resume and all that boring shit if, if you want tonight, Jay. We can get into all of that. Uh, and, and your credentials are, are unquestionable. I mean, don't you have to touch some kids or something to be governor of a major steroid, steal some kids <laughs> to be like a governor of a major, so they got like they got something on you? Anyway, Jake and I have been um, from Nolan for just a couple of years. I haven't come out of Gardenia. Uh, you know, I, I can give him the, the highest character endorsement possible as someone who's doing this for the right reason. As someone who has the best interests of the people of Minnesota in mind, as someone who has the best interests of humanity in mind, as someone who acts with integrity and communicates responsibly and with intellectual integrity and deals fairly with everyone. So I, don't, I think that's better than your resume, Jake. But with that being said, who are you and why are you? Why do you hate yourself enough to run for governor of Minnesota as a libertarian? Oh, geez. Oh. The first thing I got to say is I really wish my wife had heard that. <laughs> that, 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 that would have been great. And, and we, we might end up having a good night. I'm going to have to find a way to get that replayed here quick. <laughs> um, and secondly, just tremendous kudos for you rescuing those animals. 
I'm telling you, too many times people don't understand what goes on with the animals in their lives. And the fact that you guys went to all this effort to help the help these dogs is great. No, let me let me interrupt you, Jay. Let me interrupt for one little thing here because um, I personally know Jay as a dog guy. I've seen him with his dog on camera. I've seen him with his dog in person, and I've seen him go through the loss of his dog. And I know that's a shitty way to start an interview and put you on that note, but I hope you can smile about it and recognize now that me seeing me go through that, being a dog guy myself and what that means, it, 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 that, I mean, that's the ultimate verification of your credentials. He's a legit dog guy. I've seen him lose one. You know, and it's really funny the way you put that because, yeah, you know, and I didn't lose a dog. I lost my best friend is what I lost. And, yeah. and it goes so much deeper than that. But I'd have people sit here and say, oh, you're this, you're that, you're this kind of person. And I'd go, if I really was, then how did this guy turn out this way? You know, he's your animals and your pets emulate who you are. They're a well, part I think, of I think you. Son. I, I mean, I know this is not the normal way to start a gubernatorial interview, but uh, <laughs> your son was out here as well, uh, helping with the turbine installation. And, and I think, I, I mean, I... I wish I could have the, the credentials as a parent myself, but I think your your uh, the, the the values represented what you've done and, and, and the man that your son has become. How old is he now? Uh, he's old enough to know better. Yeah, uh, th- th- that's first. But he, he's nearing thirty. So All right. He's, yeah, but born in born in ninety two, so he, he's nearing thirty. And, and so you know, it, it is nice to see how my son has. He has learned how to think for himself and find his own way in the world. And there are some things I may agree or disagree with him, but he usually has a pretty solid reason for, for whatever he chooses. And, and you know, you, you brought up that all, all that great stuff about who I am and, and questioning why I, I would possibly want to sacrifice and run for something like governor in, in this nation right now. And, and the reason I see is opportunity. Mm. Okay. I, I see tremendous opportunity ahead of me. I, I see where our state and our country is. And, and I see the, the public buildup I've been able to create. And I can see how I can bring the libertarians to another level in Minnesota. Mm. And that's, and that's specifically what I'm trying to do. Now I'm not saying I'm going to win, but of course the possibility is always there and my goal is to emulate Jesse the body when he ran and how he ran. Because he was in a very... I hope you mean, hold on, I, I hope you mean when he ran, not how he is now. Because he's kind of gotten off the deep end since then. But I will say, he's always been a man of passionate principle. But yes. before, before you jump into that, I want to ask you one more introductory question. Kind of as, as a matter of principle, you know, obviously you've got... You know the um, you know city of uh, Orono, Orono Planning Commission, City Council. You've been involved with a lot of stuff with civil disobedience on the lake with your own property and the turbine and zoning, um, and you've got your own business. So if if you want to hit any other, also you're a Navy veteran, um, but I, I want to say that. Obviously, your passion is what you've been doing now and for, I believe, the longest part of your life, at least since the military, with uh, wind turbines and alternative energy in general. So I would ask, what principles 
drove you into that particular flavor of entrepreneurship? What principles? It's the principles of self-determination is the main principle. I always throughout my life have done what I can for myself. I still change the oil in the numerous vehicles I have. I don't trust other people to do that. I do that kind of stuff myself. And a large part of my YouTube channel, The Turbine Guy, is dedicated to empowering other people to do for themselves. I've got DIY on how to install solar and battery banks and things like that. So mm. the, the, the big principle that's driving, it actually, that's a big part of it. Also, the principle of justice, which I have found is severely lacking in this country. When I grew up, you know, we believed justice was a certain thing. And then when you get involved with the justice system, you find out that the justice system is a whole nother thing. And then when you reach a level like I have and you have, Adam, you find out that the not only the justice level is a whole nother thing, but the justice system can be a punitive thing. It's an injustice. And, it's a preserve the authority system. And, and that's what frustrates me. It is how that works, especially in this state. And, you know, you're asking principles. You know, the guiding thing, there's several high-ranking things on my list. But the highest-ranking thing in the state of Minnesota, and I bet you're going to disagree or you're going to agree with me completely, is that if I'm elected governor, there's not going to be another Minnesota National Guard member that travels overseas for a foreign war with a de without a declaration of war by Congress. I see where you're going with that, Jay. I agree 100%. And I see that the line you have drawn is a pretty popular, unobjectionable one. But I, I, mean, I would go a step further. Why give Congress? Let's, let's restate that in principle. Hold on, you interrupted me before my sentence was done. And even if Congress does declare war, it's still questionable. So right. there are opportunities where you may need in certain circumstances to actually do something. But to me, the Minnesota National Guard is going to return to being a National Guard as opposed to an International Guard. You're here. Very, very okay. well said. Numero uno. Yeah. So second, second, second. Hold on, second. I am going to immediately write an executive order to form commissions to determine who is in jail in Minnesota for non nonviolent drug offenses, and those people are going to get out of jail for either pardons, commutate commutations of sentences. Well, or however we need to get them out of our jail. So our economy is not supporting moral judgments. Absolutely. Okay. All right, that, number three. <laughs> yep, that's number two. Th those are two big things. I think those two are really going to drive me to a popular sentiment. But there's still a lot more I have. You know, I, I know an older lady, elderly lady near me whose property taxes keep increasing because people keep building bigger houses. Now, she's lived in this house since she was a kid, but she's going to lose the house because of the increase in property taxes. You know what? State of Minnesota needs to find a way to cap a property tax in a house so older people aren't forced to move out specifically because of things built around them. And not only that, the, the state of Minnesota needs to revisit its whole tax 
prior, just tax schedule as to why we are so overtaxing us. We end up with billions and billions of surplus every year. We need to we need to lower the overall tax rate in Minnesota. Now, I think a lot of people in Minnesota, especially voters on the left, there are a few of those there, uh, might see Go Green Energy Online, look at your credentials and alternative energy and say, well, great, we're finally going to have a governor who's going to get the government to do all, spend all this money on alternative energy. But I don't think that's where you're going with this, is it? No, that, that's actually a really good point. I'm going exactly where you're going. But instead of saying the government's spending all this money, the government's getting out of the way. We're going to find ways to empower people to harvest what's available to themselves. You know, there's, uh, there's something else you're going to agree with. The government does create one thing, and it's very good at creating it. And what it creates is misery. No matter what the subject is, the government creates misery. And people said forever, when the government comes says we're here to help, you got to run the other way fast. And that's the problem. We need to get government the heck out of the way so that people can do for themselves. And I'm the perfect, my wife, my son, my whole family are the perfect example of people who simply wanted to harvest the energy available to them. But for some reason, the government and the judicial structure were against that. That's something I definitely aim to change. Yeah, now the most powerful part about your candidacy in that issue is that you can tell your personal story and say, I tried and government actually stopped me and I fought them and they did in fact now they kept being assholes they kept that's the, that was the nature of government in Orno I can always say the name wrong is that right Orno 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 yeah you like don't say the second O because it's one of those weird Minnesota words um, yeah right <laughs> don't get me started uh, but that doesn't I want I want to challenge you. As if I'm playing that typical liberal voter, oh, you're an alternative energy guy. Why shouldn't the government spend more on alternative energy? What's your soundbite response to someone asking? Why should the government not spend more on alternative energy? Because the government costs more in every single damn thing they do. There's a boat sitting across a lake that's about to get moved from the landing to where it belongs. The government got in the way of doing this, and the government's solution was $74,000 plus to move this boat a whole quarter mile. The gentleman who's going to do it within state statutes is going to do it for under $4,000. That's specifically why the government does not need to be involved. Mm. So... What are you hoping to accomplish then in I mean, sort of sort of victory? I mean, you still got to win the libertarian nomination. Do you have competition? Yes. Chris Dock, who's a longtime libertarian up here, who I have absolutely nothing bad to say about. I, 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 I like his beliefs. I like his character. He's a good guy. But I just see the opportunity right now. Where with the publicity I've had with the boat across the lake and my YouTube channel getting almost to 9,000 subscribers and all the other stuff. And actually, there's something you haven't even heard. We are now in federal court with uh, the city of Orno over 
them criminally prosecuting us for failure to obtain a permit to replace a driveway of all. Wow. Now, we, we, we went through trial and my wife got a lawyer at the very last second. And I told Greg that, you know, you're really going to thank me because I handed you the easiest one you ever had. And sure enough, halfway through the trial, she was dismissed for lack of probable cause because she had nothing to do with it. And then I was found not guilty at the end, representing myself pro se. So we're in federal court and we just got at the appeals court level. And it was so much fun watching three honest to goodness federal judges who cared about the Constitution and the law go after the city attorney as to why they weren't following it. So in this campaign, we are going to have a victory in the next couple of months. I'm predicting, I'm hoping, let's put it that way. In which we're getting back to our trial in federal court for where we get to hold the city accountable for malicious prosecution, abuse Mm -hmm. of process, uh, violation of First Amendment and other rights. So the whole point of all of that I just said is me and my wife and my family have sacrificed our sacred honor and ourselves and our financial Mm -hmm. wherewithal for everybody else. Because if we don't win arguments like this, everybody loses. And that's what we're in for is building and supporting rights. And we're fighting with our own money to do that. Awesome. Hey, Jay, I got to interrupt here too. From Odyssey, we have a comment. At Tom the Turbine Taylor, I only made that account just for this interview, just to make that comment. He said two Minnesota voters here. So, hey, Joe's going to be watching the comments. He also has a question. He's like, oh, yeah, no. already. I was going to say, questions for Minnesota voters have priority right yeah. now. Would you eliminate income theft? Income tax. That. I would very much like to be able to do that. And that's a tremendous question. Because the income tax is so insidious, people do not understand that what it's doing is stealing your life force. What you've chosen to do Foundational question. Is the income tax ethical for government as a policy? No. That simple. And and I'm going to finish this real quick. Because you have spent a certain part of your life to earn stuff. And the government has chosen no matter how much you're earning, we're taking this part of your life force away. And the way way I used to explain it to people was when my wife was uh, working as a corporate officer and I was a stay-at-home dad doing things, was she would basically, after I added up all the taxes, we were paying 65% tax rate. And I'd explain to people, and go, you know, property taxes, income sales taxes, everything. And, and and I would explain to people that my wife is now working part way into Wednesday for everybody else, or part way into Thursday. I'm sorry. For everybody else. Would you have her working till Friday for everybody else before she can make money for her own family? Is that what this country's about? And I say yeah. no. Taxes need to be voluntary. You purchase a property, I get property taxes. You buy something at a store, I can understand that maybe you've got a small sales tax on, on needed things like foods. It's very small, but you've got escalated tax for other things like alcohol and luxury products. That all makes sense. Yeah. No, I, I, I really love that idea for a libertarian candidate saying, we're not going to end all taxes. We're not running around screaming taxation theft, but let's redefine it. Let's say the only taxation that's legitimate is voluntary. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly because it was your choice. That's what libertarians are. Libertarians are about what you want to choose to do. If you choose to pay the taxes on that product, that's up to you. And you know what? That's proved every single day when people buy cigarettes and alcohol that are overtaxed. Yeah, so overtaxed. Uh, and so, Jay, you know, there's some bigger picture stuff I want to ask here because I think, you know, voters now or anybody watching this has a good sense of who you are, your principles, your background, and, and your, your attitude towards government. I mean, you're a voluntarist coming who's, who's telling it as it is, as best he can to the public, straight up, and saying, I'm going to create a practical policy approach to move us in that direction. Yep. But that's not enough. That's not nearly enough right now for a libertarian to break through the duopoly stranglehold on the system to just be a better alternative because people are particularly frightened. And, and I'm of the opinion that this is sort of the desperate last licks of a dying system. That it, It's more of an illusion than anything. But, oh, my God, we just had two years of a deadly global pandemic. Oh, my God, World War III is starting in the Ukraine. You know, I, all of that just, and there's so many other you know, ancillary issues to those, but there's a general state of anxiety. And one of the reasons politicians deliberately create that is it creates a rally around the leader and a, a stick to what is working effect, even if it's barely working, because you don't want to risk going into anything else. They want to make people afraid of trying something new, like a libertarian for governor of Minnesota. So... Can you touch on like where you see humanity right now? I know that's not like an issue for the state government of Minnesota, but if you are given the authority of the governor of Minnesota, how do you see that fitting into the context of global events? And how do you intend to use that as a leadership position in what we're going through right now? I that's a very good question. It is all encompassing. And unfortunately, like you stated, being a government of Minnesota, you're limited in your abilities. But I firmly believe and I've always believed that you lead by example. And if you set a good example, others will follow. And I, I you know, I don't want to harp on Ron DeSantis, but what he's done in standing up with what's going on is something that really should be emulated by the Republican governors. And I don't see it happening. But what I can do as the governor of Minnesota is show that there actually is another way to do things. And I can do that by setting the example for other people. And that's my whole goal is to set that example so that people can see, specifically see, that there's another route, that, that you don't have to be alarmist, that when things like this happen, like viruses, you can treat them like anything else or what's happened before, and you find your way through whatever crisis approaches you with calm instead of hysteria. Mm. Now, that's a great, I want to say almost non-answer, because part of me is going like, but, but Jay, don't we need a centralized plan for freedom? Don't we need leaders to take charge and steward society through these times? And it's like, no. Now, many people lead by example, and, and, and this is a tough thing. And, and I want to say, I think uh, personality-wise, you and I have uh, a sort of artificial humility built in by social expectations. 
But in all the ways that I value the life that I have built for myself is a beautiful expression of my values. I think that yours is too. And I don't think you should be afraid to say, I'm, I'm here to lead by example. I'm not yeah. Jesus, but I'm a damn good contrast to everybody in the old parties. If everybody acted like Jay Nygaard, Minnesota would be a lot happier. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's exactly what I'm here to do. You know what I'm here to show people? I'm here to show them I'm just like you. Uh, you know what? I, I've, I'm not perfect. I got plenty of problems. I grew up with plenty of problems. I've lived pro- plenty of problems throughout my life, and it's helped develop me to where I am, just like everybody else in our world. And I'm not going to deny any of those. I'm going to admit those issues, especially people bring them forward. Not only am I going to admit them, I'm going to talk about them as to this is why we need mm-hmm. to do something. Okay, this is why we need to do that. I'm not going to play the hide and dodge. I'm not going to be the politician. I'm always, always going to be myself. Mm. Mm. Well, we have a question from Susie. Yeah, where do I get flyers and signs (laughs) to hand out? Well, why why don't you talk about the overall timeline of your campaign and the strategy? And then we'll have flyers and signs to hand out. Let's get everybody who's watching this, who's in Minnesota, who can get to the Minnesota State Libertarian Party Convention, right? Go ahead. Absolutely. Everybody needs to get there. A week from Saturday, the convention starts. Um, I'm on the list. I I want to be voted a delegate to Reno, so I very well may do that and drive out there. Excellent. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. But I'm more excited about Sunday when the governor thing comes up and that's going to happen. And I haven't invested a lot of money or effort into all the side stuff that goes because it's so important to me to get the libertarian nomination. So that's where my focus has been. And once I get the nomination, I'm going to blow all of that stuff up. So like Adam said, let's get to the libertarian convention a week from Saturday and Sunday Let's get me nominated by the Libertarians so we can move forward and we can all have a voice just like I'm saying. Well, let me ask then the question from the perspective of a Libertarian Party state delegate to the Minnesota State Convention. Are you going to be a full-time candidate? How hard are you going to work? What kind of candidate are you going to be? What kind of effort can we expect from you if you get the nomination? Another very good question. I'm getting tired of this, Adam. You're challenging me. Okay, you're challenging me. But, you know, my candidacy is, my candidacy is going to be directly related to, to, to how things go, I guess. And my goal is I have a super appeal to the younger population. And that is with my YouTube channel and my green energy stuff. Not only that, with my YouTube channel, I've got a huge appeal, just not only throughout Minnesota, but the country. So yeah. I really plan on bringing, like you, Adam, a lot yeah. of people in to help support me. Hey, any actual Minnesota delegates, I will help Dave with fundraising and promotion and everything else I can. So you got me in this corner, too. Yeah, yeah. There, there you go. There you go. So, so th- that's all important, but... The way I can see us winning this election and the important things to do are two things. is I want to run the election like Jesse did because Minnesota have, has a, a thing, a law that says if you donate $50 to a candidate, you get that back from the state. 
So we, we want to get people to start sending all these little contributions in. And how we're going to accomplish that is considering I have this tie with the younger generation is I'm going to be a social media maven or bitch or whatever you want to say. Okay. I'm going to blow up social media. I'm already all over YouTube. We're going to take that template and we're going to spread it everywhere. And we're going to swamp these older uh, standardized candidates with the social media blitz like they've never seen before. Hmm. That's very interesting. As, as a political science hack myself, I very much appreciate that you've done the homework on the race, not just looking at Jesse Ventura and looking at the current lay of the field, but looking at specific tactics that have worked in the past. And I hope you can make those tactics work for you. Now, Jay, I know you can't keep your eyes out on the screen for the whole interview, but I want to give you the chance, if you want to look the camera in the eye for just a minute, if, if, if you're up for it, I think I think voters want to see that. Take your hat off. Take your hat off. No, I want no my hat is me. You're going to wear that hat as a governor candidate to all the debates and forums. I mean, yeah, it is who I am. I want to see your eyes, man. I want to see your eyes. I want you to take a second to, uh, or take take the last few minutes that we've got here. And uh, Jim, why don't you go ahead and get his, his website up here, Go Green Energy Online. He doesn't have a campaign site, but this is his primary credential, and it really is an, an important leg up, as you've heard in the strategy of this campaign. But Jay, take just the last couple of minutes we've got here and, and look people in the eye and tell them, why they should be supporting you in this race. Why you should be supporting me. Because I have spent not only years, but over a decade standing up for you and your rights. I have spent my money, my life, my time, and my effort to try to get the judges and the communities around here to follow state law to follow statute and to support what not only the constitutions, but the law says. And that's been the biggest struggle. That's just part of me though. That's the public part. What else have I done? I've raised a family. I've been married over 30 years. I've got two wonderful kids who are succeeding in the world. And you know, I can't tell you what that has done for me and who I am inside. Mm -hmm. That's my private life. Now, you get beyond that, I, I do suffer from PTSD. I'm going to tell everybody that. I'm going to be upfront because I always have been. And that goes back to childhood abuse as well as what happened in the military. And it's something I struggle with and I deal with. But, you know, I, I'm a survivor. I've always been a survivor. I survived that. I survived the military. I survived other things. And you know what? I've survived the persecution going on in my community, and I'm still here and I'm still standing. And you know what? That's why you should support me, because I'm here to support you. I'm a survivor, and that's what I know how to do. Beautiful. There. Well said. There. I'm just sending another link to uh, to Jim to get this on there. Uh, well, we've got Govering Energy Online up on the screen there. You've got a, a, an email, ways people can get in touch with you uh, through that, of course. But and, I, and, and, and the Turbine Guy. Go to my YouTube channel, The yeah. Turbine Guy. Give me thumbs up. Give me subscriptions. I, I, I'm, I, I'm blowing it up up here. And you know what? I'll tell you this. I bypassed Spike Cohen for a while. Now he's passed me. 
But when I run for governor here, I'm going to jump past Spike again. So I got my own private competition going on with subs. Nice. Uh, the other website I just want to point out real quick for anybody who's in Minnesota, given that the state convention is coming up in a week and a half, and it is on their homepage, April 2nd and 3rd, convention. And uh, the website, can Zoom get it on screen before I'm done? LPMN.org. I think it's great that you're running for the primary without a website. You can say, if you need a website to go to, go to the party. Oh, now, now it's on my face. LPMN.org. Go sign up. Uh, see what you got to do to be a delegate. If you have any questions, of course, you can reach out to Jay through his website. Jay, thank you very much for joining us. And you know what, Adam, thank you very much for having me here. And, and I can't tell you how much you, your support of me uh, is appreciated here. Thanks, buddy. Right on, brother. Very excited to see you running. Jason is a beautiful soul. You know, oh, great candidate. Very excited that he could be taking a top position as a nominee of the LP, someone that I would want representing the Libertarian Party. The only thing he's missing is a beer. Oh, burn, burn. 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 While we uh, while we wait for Ryan Graham to join us, our next guest in just twenty eight minutes here. Um, what's up with World War Three, dear? Are you are you are you following that story at all? Uh, I there's yeah. some good news in the World War Three front, actually. Uh, shoot, what was it? The Senate Senate voted to nix the travel mask. Mandate. That's not about World War Three. That is about it? World War Three. Oh, oh, well, I see. You know, COVID and the shutdowns. Isn't it all the same? It, I mean, I want to point out, like, there's there, what we are in now, like moment in American history, moment in human history. Like Joey, even just the way you said that made me think of this, right? Like, shit was. Kind of smooth up until COVID. Well, why? Like there was periods, there were periods of, of, of general war and upheaval and challenge, but there, and there were global pandemic scares. But like, when's the last time? Question for the audience. Well, we're gonna comments right away on this. This is a really important question. What was the last time humanity globally experienced something as negative and significant as COVID? I don't mean the virus, I mean the entire thing. COVID, policy, economic consequences, all of it together. The vaccine, including the vaccines. This is a COVID, an entire episode that's just sort of coming to an end or tapering off at this point. I already have my answer. You go for it. I, Great Depression. First thing that pops to mind. World War II, definitely bigger than COVID. But even aside, yeah. Vietnam, bigger than COVID. Gulf War, not. No. Right? And, and maybe even by the global measure, you might say Vietnam, no. World War II, yes. So what, what between World War II and COVID is, is a candidate as a negative world event that really affected you know, most of humanity? 9-11. Global war on terror as a whole. 
But that was uh, global war on terror. You could say lasted until like the Afghanistan fallout, sort of, and then still tapering off, right? Whatever. Uh, but that's twenty years since nine eleven. Twenty plus years, right? Um, Any disrespect for authority says never. Probably is uh, now. I'm. The time. It, it, you have to absolutely. Of its kind. But sixty-five million people died in fucking World War Two. Don't tell me COVID was worse than that. World War on Terror, a lot less deaths uh, than World War Two, more than COVID overall. If you really include all the conflicts and all the bombing and everything, right? I, I don't know how those numbers. I'd have to check. But uh, so, but it was spread out over twenty years. It wasn't like an acute event. Global War on Terror was a period or a condition for a while, and you can say it had global effect. It was, after all, the global war on terror. But it was nowhere near the acute or discrete kind of events that you can say World War II was or COVID was slash is, right? I, I don't think the Gulf War or Vietnam, I mean, those are American and sort of regional experiences for humanity. And I don't think any of them are on the scale. I'm being very subjective here. I don't know all the death count numbers, but I can definitely say COVID as a whole was a war on drugs. Of course, Joey's going to put that on screen, right? Yeah. War on drugs. Again, war on drugs. The answer is that, you know, it, it, war on drugs is similar because it was global, which is really fucking so, weird, well, I, right I, away. But it's been going on forever. I don't know. It's at right. all. Right. So let me make so that distinction here. I will, so say, I, will, I will grant you organized revolt on, on Twitch. The, the drug war, as an event, if you want to call it an event, is worse than COVID by a mile. Yeah, no problem. But it's not really an event. It's a period. It's a phase when government ran that big racket. This, I this think the beginning of it could be considered an event. I mean... But the beginning of the... No, there's this... People, governments yeah. and authorities have been fighting drug use in order to control people. For, they, don't, they don't want you to do the good drugs that make you healthy and, and free and Maybe psychologically and mentally empowered, right? Yeah. In order to do... Status drugs that make you easy to enslave, really manipulate, exploit, etc. Like coffee. So, my point in all this is that there was a unique point of a start of period of oh shit, things aren't are suddenly significantly different than normal. That is COVID, right? That's not true about the war on drugs. It's not really true about the global war on terror either. There's kind of like a ramp. There's 9/11. You could say it's the start, but then there was. And the invasion of Afghanistan, and then a year later, right, or something like that, the year, the year was uh, March 17, 2004, the invasion of Iraq. Wow. Uh, no, sorry. It wasn't 2004. 2004 was when I was there. It was 2003. March 17, 2003. That's it. Healthy disrespect for authority does bring up that we've never had the global communication capabilities that we do now, so it's sure. a much different. I, no matter what happens, right? COVID, war, just you know, economic collapse. Thought, it, we have the unique ability for the first time in human history where push of a button, anybody in the entire world can see it, with the exception of. There's very few people that don't have cell phones. I think the. Uh, I think the, the missionary groups and the, you know, I think there's people that are in tribal huts and still living <laughs> with the earth the way we all should live, in my opinion. That You're not really a primitive. By Babylon. <laughs> Babylon has brought cell phones to the deepest, darkest depths <laughs> of the jungle. Um, we yeah, all learn how to turn our readers off, though. <laughs> that much. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, see, this is why I love Jay's answer to my question about the big picture, which is how I want to cover the headlines for this little segment today. Because having the shift in paradigm that looks for examples and inspirations instead of leaders, going back to the opening topic of the show of thinking as essential to what makes you alive, what makes life worth living, that thinking for yourself is better than letting someone do your thinking for you because that allows you to be extraordinary, empowers them to exploit you. So what I loved about Jay's answer in that, I, I, I jokingly called it a non-answer, but it's because it's like, all right, what evil will you do to solve this problem? What's your centralized plan? How will you use the violence of government to fix what I want you to fix? And he said, I'm not. I'm going to be an example. Right? I mean, is that, is that what you got from his answer? I, yeah, that's what Jesus said to do, too. So, Christian. <laughs> Vote for Jay. Yeah. Well, yeah, leading by example is the best thing to do. I, I even, and I, we talked about this last week. What's the best way to end war is to ignore it, to lead by example and just kind of you know, accept it's there, but don't let it affect your life any more than it does in the immediate, right? Right. Like if the guy with the gun's right in front of you, that's when you deal with it, not, not any other time. You just live free and, and love and by example and change the frequency. Speaking of leading by example, let's talk about our friend Vladimir Putin and my former employer by like three levels of government at least removed when I had a show on Russia Today. Yes. Disclaimer. Big disclaimer there. Ah, I was a Russian agent. Yes, I was. I was a, I was a Russian propaganda agent. Yeah, I was part of the Russian government poking the American government in the eye and uh, happy to be that. When I when I had, that was that was the start of Adam vs. the Man Phase 2, 2.0, the TV show version. Um, of course, I was canceled after four months on the air because I think, aside from me covering Putin and sealing a parliamentary election there, uh, covering that, honestly, I think they realized, oh, he's not just sort of against the American government, he's against the whole modern current concept of government as we do it in oh, You're going to spread it us too, right? Uh, you're going to use philosophy to prove that we're wrong. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean right. there, there was a lot of drama, a lot of funny shit around the kids, the laws like, of that I, show. Any, media, it, any media worldwide, if, if they find out, you tell the truth. That's it. You're done. You're so, Joey, when I ask you just off the top of your head, what kind of example is Vladimir Putin? What comes to mind? Say that one more. You trickled off at the end. What kind of example is Vladimir Putin? When I ask that question, just what comes to mind? I don't know. He's he's a bad example. He's worked with the government. That's that's the only thing that comes to mind. I don't pay attention to his policy or what he does or it. You don't think about Putin on horseback? I that's bad at me. You don't think about Putin? He's sexy. I got he's so, a good looking man. That's you know, great. You know he saved like underwater relics, scuba diving himself. You know, he went and he did that, and he's another brilliant macho man photo. Didn't Gary Johnson climb Mount Everest? Yeah, but doesn't make him any better Vladimir does better pictures. Facts, facts, yeah. So yeah. thinking about Thank the you. average Russian, what kind of example does Vladimir Putin set to me? Oh, a strong example. Strong man's man on his horse with his diving in his gear and his strong words and his big stick and 
Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so think for a second about the history of Russia, just the 20th century. You go back to World War One, massive losses, massive realignment. You go to the collapse of the Soviet Union, you go to World War Two. Tens of millions of Russians died in World War II. I wish I had the I should, I should look this. It came up this weekend in conversation. If you look up World War II Wikipedia, they have like the death breakdown. Give me just a second here. Uh, so in World War, this is really the one of the untold parts of the narrative, uh, except from the fact that the Holocaust wasn't actually deliberate extermination. Yes, I'm a revisionist. Uh, surprise, surprise. The victors who write the history You're don't talking really about tell the Russia truth. and the yeah. Holocaust. YouTube would be like, yeah, this is not where I know what we're already Thank like. God yeah, we're not there. Um, but for, let's see, total dead, according to Wikipedia for World War II, from 1937 to 1945, so just cutting that off at that period, over 61 million. Uh, let's see if I click on further details. World War II casualties. Here we go. They got a great infographic. Soviet Union. That is crazy. Allied civilians made up. Of, this is this is really fucked up. Like because the, the mythology of World War Two is used to justify the modern American military-industrial complex, including all of its satellites. And I'll point it out again: the Russian economy is. We did the numbers last week. What like a thirtieth? It was a nineteenth by the most recent numbers. Yeah. The, the most generous numbers to Russia. They are one, it was one nineteenth the size of the American economy. That's, that's the economic ability they have to support their military. There's one, one measure of it, at least, right? And, and a pretty good standard one, if anything. But this, this chart, you go to World War II casualties on Wikipedia. Allied civilians. And a lot of this is distorted by propaganda and history, but allied civilians. Joey, are you looking at it? No, I'm, you just, I'm already like what nervous. percent of those 61 million were allied civilians? I, it's the biggest single chunk. I'm like 70 percent. No, 58. But yeah, you okay. were to be like, I, my first but guess is still shocking, right? But, but but yeah, it's overinflated. Okay. So what? 70 is probably closer to the actual. You number. add up allied military. That's 25 percent. That's 80 through the winners. The winners, the fucking winners of World War II represented 80% of the casualties. Axis military and Axis, remember Germany, Japan, Italy, 13%. Axis civilians, 4%. Unless you're a psychopath and your your goal is population control. So, Russian military, uh, let's see, we'll go to the table here for this. Um, Because they have have every country... That, that suffered losses. And this was when it was the Soviet Union. Let's see. Um, their population was 188 million. And what is it there? They have, sorry, I apologize. They didn't prep for this. Um, military deaths from all causes. Total deaths here is the third column. Uh, 20 to 27 million. 20 to 27 million. It was like a third to half of World War II deaths were Russians. Yeah. And uh, let's see, they have civilian deaths, military deaths. Um, civilian, so military deaths from all causes in Russia. Well, I don't want to get too far into the breakdown. It's roughly 10 million, 10 million, 10 million for Terrible. military deaths, all causes, civilian deaths due to military activity, civilian deaths due to war-related famine and disease. That was 
Russia's experience in World War II. You see why I'm doing this, Joe? Is it coming together now? Okay, then Cold War, right? And the United States, the big bad military that set this up as a, it was a bipolar world, literally in terms of superpowers, two poles of powers. It was Russia versus, no, it's not. And it always has been a shadow superclass pulling strings on all the major powers. But if you want to look at it that way, Joey, no, it went from almost bipolar to unipolar to now back to bipolar with China. Not yet, but as a rising economic power, I, so some metrics, I think they've already seen U.S. GDP shits all over the place with COVID statistics. But last time I checked, it was you know roughly the same size. They were a little bit behind the U.S., whatever. So when you think about the, the, the mythology of the Jewish state and the Jewish people, too, right? Why did it become, why did it become such a warlike, aggressive state? It had a population that at least felt and, and was persecuted in World War II, was a victim of the Holocaust. The Jewish population of Europe was directly threatened. I'm not pretending that that didn't happen. No, but that it was one element of Germany's crimes against humanity, and it was not what they said it was. But pretty sure Russia had it worse by almost every metric, or at least the people of Russia, I should say. According right? to the that USSR. chart. Definitely according to that chart. And then they end up with a tiny little economy. But they get a big, strong man in charge. I am not even Putin. The president is walks around with his shirt off and does photo ops. And like, and generally does a good job in that sense. You know, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not defending him. I'm not supporting him. He's a tyrant. He's a statist. He's, he's not ethical. But I, I can objectively, separately look at what he has been able to accomplish. And in terms of how long he stayed in power, quite an accomplishment. Not so much when you redefine that as being the front man of an evil system, but even then, being the most effective front man, wielding a genuine power, not, 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 he's not top level, okay? He runs the economy that's number 11 in the world today. This is, remember that from last week, right? Hey, number 11. Hey, Russia is number 11 in the economy. still at the top, though. That, that. But in his world, in his chosen career path, he has stayed at the top for decades in a way that is absolutely unprecedented. And I, I, I see the headlines about him in the framing of this in the Western media, right? To bring it back to talking about World War III. Because, um, well, shit, now I want to share this. There was a meme. I put this meme on the channel about it's like the 10 laws of war propaganda. And I, I shared it uh, because uh, I, I see it so vividly right now. And this is from... Arthur Ponsonby, I never heard about this. And it was just a meme, fun food for thought. It was in the at ball memes, voluntary memes. I love that Telegram channel. channel. Yeah. I love that channel. Yeah. It's a great anyway. channel. Um, so the meme is uh, when war is declared, truth is the first casualty. And I've heard this as truth is the first casualty of war is an old adage. That we actually, why we named that mock combat patrol we did with a lot of veterans in D.C. on March 17, 2007, which is the fourth anniversary of the invasion of Iraq, Operation First Casualty, to bring in part of the truth of the war home. But here it is. Here's the template. The Ten Commandments of War Propaganda. One, we do not want war. Two, the opposite party alone is guilty of war. Three, the enemy is the face of the devil. 
Number four, we defend a noble cause, not our own interests. Five, the enemy systematically commits cruelties. Our mishaps are involuntary. Six, the enemy uses forbidden weapons. Seven, we suffer small losses. Those of the enemy are enormous. It sounds so childish if you say it in the right voice, right? Artists and intellectuals, number eight. Artists and intellectuals back our cause. I'm going to say it like that for now. Number nine, our cause is sacred. Number ten, all who doubt our propaganda are traitors. You're either with us or against us. You know what? I go, oh my God. It's I fucking think, childish. But they and, and, and when you can read, so I've been reading the headlines about Russia, Ukraine, and reading between the lines. And when I saw this meme, I was like, click, 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 click. Yep. So, I mean, just looking at, like, and, and Drudge Report used to be, the news I, I used to share more from Alex Jones. I don't think anything from Alex Jones. On, on Drudge Report. Now, well, that's saying maybe I'd say more about Alex Jones at this point. But at least Drudge Report used to mix in with its mainstream media coverage and, and aggregation of headlines a decent selection of, of independent and alternative sources that gave you kind of a balanced narrative from reading the Drudge Report. And it was so, it was, it was a value to the internet, to humanity. That we had the Drudge Report. We had this awesome news aggregator that allowed you to get a sense of what's going on in the world very efficiently. It doesn't exist anymore because now it's it really is a corporate line. It really like Drudge Report has really shifted from mainstream but really skeptical to just whatever the whatever the rulers want us to say. Do you want to know why? I think they got to. Because, well, yeah, we we at some point, if you get too big, you need mm. more money, and if you need more money. It doesn't matter. If you get too big, you play ball or they kill you, or they don't let them metaphorically kill you. They take you out of the conversation. That's it. You know, I got to the edge of that and got censored down, right? And I, I'm kind of relieved. It could have gone the other way. could have gone the Michael Hastings way. Look up his story if you don't know Michael Hastings. But to Drudge Report today, headlines for the last, I don't know how many weeks, have all been just Ukraine. I don't think it's taking a break. And and that in and of itself is kind of dishonest. And I love that I, I have these meme channels that I'm subscribed to on Telegram because it gives me a, a lot of the greatest memes are showing. Like we mentioned this last week, like the oh, Zelensky's the hero, and we've got a picture of him with a I think with a helmet and a flag jacket and a t-shirt, like walking through trenches, looks really badass, right? And the captions of the Western media were like. Zelensky, you know, touring frontline positions or some shit like that. It was a photo from a photo op he did a year ago when there was no combat going on. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to defend Putin. Because all his territorial claims are all bullshit. They don't work with me. Is it, could, he, could Putin possibly pull some shit out of his ass that would win me to his side? I mean, I, I think he's going to pull something out, but I think it's going to be the crash of the dollar. I still think that's what he's ultimately, I think that's his bigger strategy. And, you know, if there are any comments in here, Joey's still watching. I encourage the audience to jump in here. Do you have, you know, insight on this level? Because this is, I think, the important way to look at what the mainstream media is trying to tell you. The most important thing to keep in mind is when the authorities tell you to hate someone, you should probably make an effort to love on them a little bit. And right now, the Russian government wants us to hate Ukraine. 
And the Ukrainian government and the rest of the world wants to say Russia. Well, it's not that simple. And China's pretending to be neutral and really sort of standing to gain from the shakeup of global currency flows. Back to the Drudge Report. We've got we to we cover gas prices and all this, right? To bring it back to a little more practical. Uh, I want to bring up uh, Healthy Disrespect for Authority brings up uh, there's a video of a guy in a body bag unzipping to get out. He yeah. That is actually. It's a couple weeks old. We mentioned that last week. It's a couple weeks old, but it's, it's, a good one. it's actually yeah. from a climate change protest in Vienna in February, and somebody dubbed over that it was different. So it's, it's actually a news report. Of a bunch of protesters intentionally laying out in front of the Capitol with these bags on them for climate change protests. That is reporter jumped in Toronto. Vienna, nowhere near Ukraine. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the other thing. Back to healthy disrespect comment before. We're at a unique time now where we do have all the connectivity in the world, but humans have always been deceptive. And so, we're going to run into that in more math like this. Before we get to the headlines here, just for a quick skim. I want to address one comment from Organized Revolt on Twitch. A lot of the footage coming out of what Ukrainians are doing to people are pretty horrible. Uh, his, his grammar, not mine. <laughs> um, but you got to be just as skeptical as that. And remember that even if there are real atrocities being committed, and I don't, I honestly, I don't doubt it. There are a lot of people on both sides who have incentive to lie. As the media, just to get your attention, and as governments to get you to think that they are important and that you need them for protection because the world is a scary, war-filled place. And there's been like video game footage passed off as shit happening in Ukraine. You're like, get the fuck out of here! We're not trying to scare you. Have to disconnect from this in order to be. The bullshit. And I, I, this might be too much of an abstract metaphor for people, but you know, like in Buddhist meditation tradition, they say, don't be your thoughts. You are not your thoughts. You can meditate and let your thoughts flow and be intense, but part of the point or one objective in one approach to meditation is be the observer. Step back. See your thoughts. Process. See your reactions. See your feelings. Take a moment to step back. And I'm like, oh, if only humanity could do this right now. But at least you can do this if you listen to Adam versus the man. Now, if you, if you read between the headlines and, and you see, like, those techniques of war propaganda really explain so much of what we're seeing. And it, it's very tempting to think there's a righteous side, even as a libertarian, as a moralist. But I, I think what makes us libertarians, more importantly, uh, you know, in, in this situation, aside from our philosophical grounding as believing in self-ownership, the non-aggression principle, et cetera, et cetera, is that we want humans to love each other, to live in harmony, to live in peace. We want interactions to be voluntary so that in a free exchange capitalist sense, we can maximize value. We want peaceful exchange of not just goods, money, services, but love, time, attention, affection, all of these other rich elements of the human experience that go away with war that you let them take away from you when you put too much energy into it. 
you got to keep an eye on it. I'm not saying ignore shit that might be a threat. Yeah, we've got this dangerous thing laying around called government. Make sure it doesn't hurt you. Although I would say living like this, the way we are in Gardenia, is the best way to protect yourself. This is a great place to watch World War III. Like the sun is setting. The, the birds are chirping. The, 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 the sky is beautiful. The kittens are giving. The kittens are birthing. Um, the puppies are being rescued. Like all that happened. Like we, we did DMT and mushrooms and LSD and and, and loved each other and, and and rescued puppies and had a good time and built community here. You can still do all that. And as long as you can do all that, that is way more important than reading about the news headlines. So with that, let's read some headlines. But all right, real, real quick example. Uh, Putin's defense minister vanishes. This is uh, part of a thread of stories. It would be aliens. His whole government and his country is deserting him. No. Uh, dissent brews over leadership, which hunt, hunt among inner circle. Top advisor quits and flees. And this is to the, the, the Putin is incompetent narrative. No, he's not and you look really silly western mainstream media when you try to make putin look incompetent um and if he is doing something like and, and again i'm not debating the facts but if he is doing something that appears incompetent it's only because you don't understand his strategy yeah you gotta give him that credit you know he's being set up as a pawn of the the super class the banksters the real string pullers and he's, he's being set up in their strategy or he's executing a master strategy because he has been a master strategist in politics his entire life. He is not a dumb man. Oh, the one of the headlines last week, oh, he got COVID. He's stupid from COVID. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Ally warns of nuclear dystopia, Russian troops turning on each other, quote, shit show. Squads ordered to kill deserting soldiers, 40,000 killed, wounded, capture MIA. Guarantee of that number fucking inflated and goddamn it everybody who's lying to get people more escalated in this conflict as opposed to de-escalated the blood is on your hands too you are fucking instigating the greatest evil that humanity is capable of you could be honest you could bring integrity to reporting but no that's not what the mainstream media does they're going to exaggerate as they always yeah. look at i mean everything yeah. In the era of the global war on terror, all the way back to all of human history reporting on war. I was watching something on this, and uh, I forget who the podcaster was, but he said that the days of Walter Cronkite were the end of truth, if there was any in the media. You know, he never voted for the president because he wanted to stay impartial for his viewers. That was his only reason. <laughs> I like that intensity. Well, meanwhile, before we get to our guests, one last headline that is the top on drugs. Oh, and let's get our puppies. Oh, puppies out. I oh, she's wanting to go out. Okay. Oh, what a smart girl, Dank. Yes. <laughs> Amazing puppies. Okay. So we're going to do this one last point, and then we're going to get to Ryan. The, uh, the top story on Drudge Report is a picture of a 76 gas station in California with regular gas self-serve. At six dollars and thirty-four cents and nine tenths, six thirty-five. Uh, renewable diesel number two, seven dollars and thirty-nine and nine tenths a gallon. The headline under that picture is "Gas Price Stimulus Checks Next?" Question mark. And underneath that, a hundred dollars monthly. <sighs> Money printing machine go burr. 
inflation taken off, and this is just theft. It is it, all the more reason. Hey, if you get a stimulus check, buy crypto, buy silver, start stacking shit of real value, because I don't have faith that the dollar is going to last long. With that, our next guest tonight is none other than my friend Ryan Graham. Longtime Libertarian Party activist in Georgia, wearer of many hats within the party. Are you your chair right now? Party, yeah. Doing double duty. He's <laughs> also running for lieutenant governor, supporting Shane Hazel at the top of the ticket. Longtime activist in in Georgia, but also someone who I've, I've respected not just for his longevity in the party, but also for being kind of an intellectual leader. I mean, I think back to the first Georgia LP convention that I went to uh, as a speaker and the kind of presentations you uh, and, and your wife were organizing and the incredible, like, just you weren't afraid. To, we, we, we were talking, like, Roman or Greek philosophy and, you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know the, the, the ideals in public speaking. I mean, it was, it was really... Uh, really beautiful. I respect you not just as an activist, but an intellectual keeper of the party's ethos. Well, I, I appreciate it. I always like it when you come around, man. It's always a good time, too, you know? <laughs> and and uh, now, taking on, uh, I mean, is there any less, I mean, those are like the two, I don't think there are less thankful or appreciated jobs in the LP than like the lieutenant governor candidates and the state chairs. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're getting it both ways here, man. I don't know where you want to start with tonight's interview, but let, let's let's say, like, you know, what what do you want people to know about you by, by background? For start? I mean, the big thing that I, w I would like to talk about is uh, our run, my run for lieutenant governor. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I stepped up, and, and as you mentioned, Shane Hazel's the top of the ticket for governor. Um, my big issues are educational reform, well, educational freedom, uh, criminal justice reform, and election reform. Um, a lot of people don't realize that Georgia has some of the worst ballot access laws in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's been that's been what, you know, as the chair, I've been like dealing with a ton. We've been getting a ton of press on it because we're suing the state right now. Um, it's just it's been fun, you know, so that, you know, I mean, that's the biggest thing. Ryan, I'm, I'm not going to let you get away with that. I know this is where you're, you're doing what you're supposed to. But we have 30 minutes and I'm a libertarian and I'm going to ask our fucking questions. And I'm going to make you right. curse on a podcast. You know you're going to show this to voters, and you're going to show this to LP members. Uh, but no, you know, it, 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 you are you are guilty, sir, of a, of a typical libertarian fallacy, especially among candidates and activists, that the typical voter already cares or is interested on an intellectual level the way that we are, and most of them actually are more libertarian than the. Honestly, in some ways. A big chunk of America is way more libertarian than the average libertarian activist because they're just like, yeah. nah, I'm not going to care about government. Oh, but if there's a guy I trust and I like and I think he's got good principles, I can vote for him. So we're going to get to know you a little bit first, Ryan. So no, that's that, good. And I like the conversational stuff better. I wasn't ready for a 30-minute uh, presentation. You know, I like the conversation no style. No way. Like we'll, out, you know? we'll come back to your pitch for the delegates. But I, I, how did – how, when did you first become chair? 2000, oh gosh, it was a year and a half ago, I guess, or two, two and a half years ago. It was longer than that. No, no, I was vice chair. So I only started getting involved in the state party in 2016. That was my first ever convention. So 2016. 
So you, you, yeah. you're I mean, like, to go from 26, tell us the course, because that's pretty fast. How did you wake up? How did you change yeah. your paradigm, or did you? And then how did that lead to a career of... You said, you said I'm a long-time activist, but, you know, they make fun of people and say that, that, uh, that like, th those people who show up, like, are the ones who get thrust into, you know, leadership, and that has absolutely been true in my case. So You've been showing up hard from the beginning. What's that? You've been showing up hard from the beginning. That's, so I showed up in 2016, and I actually I felt like I wasn't ready to take on any kind of leadership at all. And so I didn't take any executive committee position. I didn't take any officer position. I didn't run for anything. I just took it in. And then um, I started the LP Atlanta affiliate with a group of people and through through the first year. And then the following year at the convention, I joined the executive committee. And basically I showed up and I said, well, I'm really interested in starting affiliates. And so I, you know, I'm like, well, what counties are affiliated? What aren't? And I started just saying, all right, these counties aren't affiliated. They should be. And I started helping out with that. And it was maybe three months in our vice chair basically said, I'm out. I don't really have time for this. And everybody was like, well, Ryan's doing work. So like, you know, if you go to your first Libertarian Party, it is dangerous. You have to look out. If you go to the bathroom, you might come back and find out that you've been named uh, an officer, possibly even chair of the party. Basically, they're like, Ryan's putting in work. Here you go. Three months in, something like that. So I yeah, took so it. The first convention that I went to in Georgia, you were vice chair at that point. But you were obviously heavily involved in, in the organization. But I, I want to get a little more personal. Like, were you always a Libertarian? You know, I didn't know what that word was until probably 2012. Um, I used to ride in the truck with my dad and talk political philosophy. And um, it actually came up a lot with gay marriage because I think that was big back back then. Um, it feels like it was. And, uh, you know, I'm like, Dad, why did why do people care? You know, what, 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 why do people care what they're doing over there? Like, live and let live, right? They're not mm -hmm. hurting anybody. So, so who cares? And he's like, you know, you sound like one of those libertarians. And I was like, <laughs> Maybe. And so I Googled it and I found Gary Johnson's website. He was running for president in 2012. And I started going through the platform and I'm like, uh-huh. Yep. Check, 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 check. Holy shit. I found home. Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that. Wow. What do you think, aside from, I mean, that's a really awesome experience to get to have an ongoing political dialogue with one of your parents. I mean, most yeah. American parents are kind of afraid to do that. And then the only political exposure kids get us through their government schools. Um, but since there was that discovery process before that, I mean, what of your childhood, of your, your growing up experiences, you think influenced your principles so that you kind of had that already in place? Well, I mean, that's, that's sort of where I think everybody has trouble with their, with talking politics with their family right now. And, uh, yeah. that's sort of where it gets a little wild for me. Cause I'll bring up libertarian things at like Thanksgiving now and people, and my family's like my dad, my grandpa and everybody, they're like, no, it's, it's not that way. And I'm like, you know, I got here because of how you raised me. Like I did Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> So I, I tell them, where did, where did you grow up? I love that you're, you're very fortunate in America today to have a multi-generational family intact at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm from Georgia. I, I, I was uh, born in Athens and uh, raised here for most of my life. And I moved to Atlanta when I was in um, high school, basically. And then uh, I went to college at Georgia State. 
And uh, yeah, I'm just born and raised in Georgia. Haven't moved around too much. <laughs> are, are you trying to downplay this so that we can talk about nerdier shit? Is that what you're doing? I don't know, man. I don't know what you want to talk about. We didn't really go over very much before hey. this. You were just like, hey, come on the show. I was like, cool. I'll talk to Adam for a while. <laughs> no, I'm going to make it fun. I'm going to challenge you at least a little bit, right? What's the most interesting thing about yourself? And then we'll get to conventional political stuff. Oh man, I have no idea. I'm not that interesting. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Um, <clears throat> the thing that's interesting about me is, I guess, that I am very passionate about about this thing, and um, I basically have put all my effort into libertarianism and the Libertarian Party since about 2017, right? So, like a a year in after getting my feet wet and all that, I mean, I've just basically been like, where are the opportunities? What can I do? Um, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to further. And that's what I've been doing. So, Yeah, no, I, I want to back you up on that, man. From what I've seen of you and your work and have known you, like this is kind of what makes us brothers in the struggle is that yep. there was something when, when you, I mean, man, I hate to give Gary Johnson credit for this, but he deserves it, you know, or at least the party then and your father deserved for using the L word and giving you a set of issues to look at. Uh, but when you went through that click, it was just, yeah, and this is the most important thing. Like, this is the single most, like, if I could get humanity to learn one thing, yeah. if I could get humanity to appreciate one thing, if we could change one thing about the human experience to make life better for everybody else, it's this. Why? The... <clears throat> So I come at libertarianism from a framework of humanism. I value the human condition. And, I, and I, I'll go out there and I'll tell everybody, people are as diverse as their number. Every single person on this earth is completely unique. And yeah, we have our like cliques and we, we can group in certain ways, but we're all unique in some kind of way. And I think that libertarianism really embraces that and what we should embrace that. And I think that makes us stronger as, you know, a human race and that we should embrace that and stop collectivizing the way that we do and um, really just embrace individuality and the strengths of the individual and push those things forward, you know? Mm -hmm. Beautifully said. That was better than any political answer to any political question you could have given. Like, well, I actually care. So, <laughs> I care. I mean, if this is this again to the sort of typical American voter, um, my campaign manager, shout out to Elijah Gitzarelli, Libertarian Party, Rhode Island, would say nobody cares what you know until you know that the, until they know that you care. And I think what you just articulated is why libertarians care about libertarianism very very well and and i i wish every voter even before they understood you know what we're suggesting what we're proposing anything about our ideas that we have found an idea that is so compelling that we give our lives to like really thankless jobs of organizing yeah. behind the scenes so i'm just we're just going to leave graham for ga that's Graham like a cracker. Ford's, you know, I won't forget it. Oh, Graham Ford. Ford. Yes, Ford's this weekend, too. Graham Ford, We're just going to leave that up. I want you to talk like that for 17 more minutes. That's your challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, I mean, and, and that, that individualism is, is why educational freedom is the top plank in my platform. Um, and, you know, 
Republicans will talk a, a game about school choice and then they fail on even that. And school choice is just a brick in the road on the way to what I'm saying educational freedom is because you need to open this whole thing up. The way that kids and well, the way that we all learn um, is so individualistic and we need to allow an exploration. We need to allow different educators to innovate and come in and, and you know, make changes and, you know, don't just sit in a desk. My, <clears throat> I have a five-year-old. And uh, we we took her to a kindergarten camp over the summer just to see how she'd like it at a charter school. So it's a you know government, it's a public charter school. And uh, we asked her you know how the day was. She's like, oh, it's kind of kind of boring. And I was like, oh, okay, what happened? Did you you know did you get to go out and play? And no, we didn't have any recess. I was like, so what'd you do? We sat in a desk all day. A five year old sitting in a desk all day, you know. And and, and it, to to me, you know. Maybe that works for some. I doubt. I doubt it actually works for very many. Um, but we ended up taking her to an onschooling, for lack of a better word, school, um, where she plays all day and she gets to tell her facilitator, uh, which is what their teachers are there, what she's interested in. And then the facilitator basically presents her with more information about what she's interested in. And so she's constantly just like, you know, exploring different things and having different ideas presented to her and, and getting to handle those things. And it's just, it's, it's, so, and she's comes home happy all the time. She came home depressed from that other place. And like, you know, that to me is like the epitome of this, you know, very humanist individualistic, um, concept where like education just is like where it starts. And so it just seems like that's the root, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you mean, like take on that, that challenge and I was like, oh, oh he's, he's going for it. Now he's going for it. Um, I mean, I, I, I remember I'm, I'm watching for 17 minutes. I'm not a real politician. Well, we'll, give you, we'll give you a few minutes at the end to talk about Shane and the party and, and the nuts and bolts of the campaign and stuff like that. But that, that staying in that frame of why libertarianism is important and you, and you did a great job connecting it to education, what other sort of conventional policy issues do you think that's especially relevant for the people of Georgia? Well, criminal justice is the obvious second thing on my on my platform because, you know, throwing people in cages for uh, any while they're behaving peacefully is just um, it, it's incredibly immoral, and we should we should definitely be striking at that um, every chance that we get. So, cannabis is the easy one, right? We're all we're all pro cannabis. We get made fun of for it all the time, but you know, I, I mean, legalize all of it. I, I got to ask. When I was running for public service, oh, I'm not, not pro cannabis. I'm I'm super pro cannabis. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, man, you know I've been um, I, I've been hitting uh, gummies. I, you know I, I stopped smoking. I started doing edibles, and uh, that's working out for me. I, not on podcasts. I I I'm not a good, I'm not a good guest when I'm uh, high. So. <laughs> I've seen you pass a J. Um, I'm better. I'm better uh, with with a PBR or two in me on a podcast. So that, that'll be my drug of choice. I love that. Dude, that's the kind of politician we like here. Uh, I think that, that represents like an important shift for you know when the Libertarian Party says we're offering alternatives to the duopoly, it can't be well we're just like them except that we have these different issues and policies. No, we're fundamentally fucking different people, and the American voters need to know that about libertarians. I'm. I'm you know, you're a very uh, sort of mild-mannered, you know, professional, the spectacle, the uh, version of that. For this call, I, that's, you know. <laughs> but you still are unafraid 
to make it clear how you're different. So back to criminal justice reform, please. Yeah, we talk about things like right now, uh, cash bail is big in Georgia and, you know, everybody's up in arms. Like, oh, you're going to let, you know, violent criminals go. And that's not really what the discussion is at all. And <clears throat> the point that I'm trying to make is that if you're willing to set a bail, you're you're already saying that if they get to if you let the person go, then they're not a danger to themselves or society. Like no amount of money is is makes a difference in that in that regard. So basically what you're doing is you're saying poor people deserve to be in cages and people who have the means to get out have you know have the ability to get out. It's nothing about safety at that point. That that doesn't make any sense. So cash bail's been a big thing and then anything peaceful, right? I mean hashtag anything peaceful. That's a big fee thing here. But um <laughs> basically I mean the, right now foundation for economic education so they're they're based in atlanta yeah um but the you know the governor right now and politicians in georgia are talking about the rise in violent crime and you know they want to you know democrats want to defund and do i don't know what they want to do and, and republicans want to increase funding and crack down on crime and uh the governor just thanked butts county for uh, getting 30 pounds of cannabis uh, off of a truck or something that was going from Michigan to Florida, two legal states. They 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 took it and they said, congratulations for getting drug dealers off the streets. What are you talking about, man? These weren't going to drug dealers on the streets. These were going to like legal states where people are, you know, partake. It, it doesn't make any sense. So you you want to, what you want to really do is prior, reprioritize everything. I mean, they have they have discretion to do it. They all the time decide, hey, we're not going to enforce this law because we don't have the resources to do it. So you no longer have the resources to enforce drug law or enforce violence on peaceful people in any form or fashion. If you're not peaceful, then let's use our resources to go after those folks. I mean, it, it's, it seems to me like an easy solution. We're wasting a bunch of time going after peaceful people. Well said. Not a lot, a lot of libertarians want to jump into policy and you know you, you explain criminal justice reform with statistics and people in georgia don't even hear any more statistics because they live it like i mean you talk about all the, like when we talk about you know, cannabis is being decrammed or more legalized but nationally total address arrests for cannabis at state level it's places like georgia where there's a large black community in inner cities that's getting bearing the brunt of that and there's there's no two ways about it it's a brutal criminal yep. racket and you don't need to quote statistics to say, I care about this and I'm going to do something. So perfect transition then. What the hell can you actually get accomplished as Lieutenant Governor of Georgia? <laughs> well, so Lieutenant Governor, Governor is actually more powerful than a lot of people think. They, um, in, as far as our constitution goes, they're basically just the, the backup for the governor. If something happens to the governor, then they take over. But as far right. as in practice, they preside over the Senate um, and, and, so that's the other thing in in the constitution that can change based on what the senate wants but what they end up doing is um appointing all the chairs for the committees which is a hugely powerful um thing to be able to do and to be able to pick and choose democrats and republicans uh we won't have any libertarians we don't have any libertarians running for senate but to be able to pick and choose out of them the best people to run each committee is already hugely powerful um and then to be able to um get you know get laws introduced and stuff like that so presiding over the state senate is a, a huge huge powerful deal um the only more powerful thing probably besides governor is the is the house chair <laughs> the speaker of the house is is incredibly powerful mm -hmm. All right, so tell us about i, I assume well 
I, I assume you, as, as state chair, you won't have any competition within the party for the nomination for lieutenant governor. Is that right? Uh, well, so I'm already nominated. We had our convention in January. So we have all of our candidates right now. I was unopposed, and uh, I beat Noda by enough points. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there's always a couple of Notas. You know Georgia. We, 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 always, we always throw a couple in there. Quick explanation for the non-LP people here. Libertarian Party activists would know that on every libertarian ballot, we exemplify the principle of better to leave a position unfilled than fill it with the wrong person, and it is mandated in all of our bylaws that NOTA, none of the above, is an option in every race. So, Brian beat NOTA. Um, and, and we, did, I, we, we did our convention, I'll note, we noted two candidates. We, we Two people came up and gave speeches, and we... Um, it's like you go up in front of a bunch of libertarians and you start otherizing. You know, they start saying, well, you libertarians should do this and that. And everybody's like, no, nah, you're not going to represent us. <laughs> yeah. Nice to see a party defense mechanism working well for once. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Shane Hazel, uh, someone I know is a fellow military veteran and podcaster and activist, and also through my touring and, and time in Georgia. And I think we've, We've done a couple panels together, actually, on other people's show. We've both been on each other's shows. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty exciting to see him at the top of the ticket. Can you tell us about how you work together as a team and with the party itself? Yeah, no. So, so I, um, I actually met Shane when I was running for public service commission. Him and his campaign manager. So he was running as a Republican in the U.S. House seven in their primary, and he came down to my campaign kickoff just to kind of see what it was all about. And uh, I started following their podcast after his race, uh, which was called Rebellion at the time. And um, basically, I just kind of kept in contact with him. And, and I kept on telling him, hey, man, like he kept saying rhino. He kept calling people rhinos. And I was like, I think, man, if you look left and you look right and you look around you in the Republican Party and they're all rhinos, like maybe it's time that you just consider that you're the rhino and that the Republican party just isn't what you think it is. And eventually he came over. And, uh, so, so he ran for Senate, uh, last year or two years ago, uh, against Purdue and Warnock and, um, caused kind of a big ruckus there. We, we, um, you know, they went to a runoff. Neither one of them earned 50% of the vote, which is required in Georgia. And then we do this long, just this long ass runoff. It's really stupid. Um, it's it's good to require fifty percent plus one. It's really bad to to do it the way we do it. Um, but and then Purdue eventually went on to lose that race, uh, to which the Republicans all lost their damn minds and just blamed us for everything. I'm like, Shane wasn't even in the election that Purdue lost. Look inward. You guys are crap. Um, there's fun stories there too. I actually had conversations with, uh, the, the state chair of the Republican party about what they could do to earn our votes. And they just flatly declined. Um, I, I, you know, and, and here, here were my terms. Uh, you know, I, I said, we're not going to endorse anybody, but if you come out pro some libertarian stance, I will do a press release or, you know, some social media stuff. I'll email our people. Look, these people are trying to earn our votes. That's it. That was as simple as it was going to be, you know, and uh, and I got a response back from the state chair and said, how about you guys just endorse us and we put your logo on a mailer? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. What? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so so then, uh, you know, after, after that big hubbub and, you know, Shane's got his podcast and he's he's 
good and loud and uh he's very boisterous for liberty which is which is nice you know it's good to have folks like that on board he he's very uh good at communicating libertarian ideas and i said hey man like we need you to keep on board you're gonna run for governor right and he was like hell yeah let's do it so uh you know that's that's where we are <laughs> all right second to last question the last one's gonna be the harder one why should georgia voters support you for lieutenant governor and other libertarian candidates there like shane hazel for governor I think it's it's what you were saying. We're we're different, right? People want to say that you know we're conservatives, or I mean, there's even a section of the party that they would say are just a bunch of lefties. Um, you know, coming at it from a humanist, I've gotten that one. Um, even though I, I guess my rhetoric doesn't come off that way, but we're different, right? We're not conservatives. We're not progressives. We align on some of those things, but we don't. We we challenge on a lot of other things. We think about things differently, so. My campaign slogan is is strike the root, which I'm, you know, you and your listeners probably have heard that plenty. But it's all about like finding root, the root they cause. Heard, they have heard me quote the original Thoreau that that comes from a hundred. For every thousand striking at the branches of evil, there is one striking the root, and that is very apt in differentiating differentiating libertarians from anybody else in politics. Because you, you want to go in and they're very reactive. And that's what the Democrats and Republicans do. They react and they don't think about things like, you know, what what um, what Bastiat was saying with the scene and the on scene. They just keep on creating more problems instead of looking for the root causes, which is usually them and eliminating it. So, you know, we end up wanting to go in where like the <clears throat> Democrats and Republicans think the answer is politics. We come back and say, you know, we want this power so that we can just diffuse it right back to the people, right back to the individual. And we mean it, you know, so that's that's why you should vote for libertarians instead of the R's and the D's. Barking in the background, I'm muting myself. Oh. OK. <laughs> I'm back. Here. I'm back. I'm backstage. I can I do all the controls and I'm distracted by puppies. I'm sorry, uh, but no, I want to say that as, as boosters of party membership in general, for all the reasons that Ryan has laid out, we would like to mention LP.org or LP.org slash join. But for anybody in Georgia who wants to get in touch with the Georgia Libertarian Party, LPGeorgia.com. Um, before the last uh, actual question, any, anything else about technicals, how to get in touch with you, stuff people should know about the party in Georgia, anything else you want to plug real quick? No, with me, gramforga.com is, is the easiest way to do any of that stuff. Ryan at gramforga.com is my email. You can shoot me an email. Uh, we're, we're collecting donations right now. We're trying to get seed money together to, to run this campaign and do a really good job with it um, and, and really get the word out. Uh, it's, and it's, it's really hard. I've, you know, I've raised about $1,500 so far uh, in the last month or so. So I'm doing better than a lot of libertarian candidates. Uh, i that's like a record for LP lieutenant governor candidates in five different <laughs> Yeah. So, and I have some pledges for yard signs and all that stuff coming up. And, um, you know, my idea is just to, to get out on as many of these types of things. Like right now, the idea is to talk to people like, like you, Adam, who are friendly and your base and let you understand like what we're doing here. Uh, but the future is going to be to get on to as many different podcasts and radio shows and things in Georgia that I can and really just talk to the people and i love having these conversations so this is this is what it's all about for me absolutely all right last question get them on full screen 
your background there, Ryan, very. You got you got like the uh, like Greek Romanesque columns on on a very subtle but nice fireplace with a TV hung above, a few house plants. Very very nice, you know, neat, well put together, sort of typical Georgia living room, right? I guess what? I don't know. I don't know what a typical Georgia living room is. <laughs> what the heck is the giant Lego head right there? Hey man, I got I got a five year old, you know, and she likes Legos, and um, she likes the hat that hat on it. Um, so we got that for her in Jamaica, but I like my Georgia State hat on it. Uh, I have a, I have another podcast, and I'll plug it here. Uh, Stateofatlanta.com. We talk about Georgia State sports. We get we get we get really drunk. We get really drunk and talk Georgia State sports. Um, the whole point of it is like three drunk guys that don't know what they're talking about talk about it anyway and uh we do a pretty good job with it so that's that's sort of why the hat's there <laughs> beautiful thank you very much ryan very much appreciate that see see how much he cares about all of these things and people and that's why he deserves your support i'm happy to be endorsing ryan graham for lieutenant governor of course shane hazel is running me as well libertarian candidates in georgia ryan thank you so much for joining us this evening hey man thanks for having me all right best luck in your campaign all right, Joey, we're two hours in. We got just a few minutes here. We're going to go a little overtime. Well, we don't have overtime. We don't, have time. we don't need no stinking time units on this podcast. We're going to do the good news. we got to run through some headlines. Joey's been running around wrangling the zoo so, so for, wait, for the wait. last half hour. The, the cat the cat just whined to get into the small carrier. So now it's finally shut up because I opened the top lid. Our, our animals are strange. Maybe she's looking for a place to finally give birth that's a little more like cozy and enclosed. Maybe she's a status. She likes living in a cage. Yeah. Well, speaking of status, let's get into our good news. First headline, Madeline Albright dead at 84. Oh, never mind. That's not Good News Network. That's one more from the Drudge Report. Yeah. And I, I didn't hear of that. Course, I didn't hear that. In, uh, in, in, a, in a truest, deepest sense, I will never celebrate someone's death. But I will take advantage of the fact Madeline Albright dead. To point out that as, uh, in, in an interview about her time uh, as the English Secretary of State during the first Gulf War that led to, and the, the sanctions in between under Clinton uh, that, that led to, under her policy basically, uh, the deaths of half a million Iraqi children, she said it was worth it. Wow. That's, that's a solid human being, right? But, but she's got a, don't you deal with that in the afterlife? And all a lot of karma. Things. She's facing some karma. Well, her karma's been talking <laughs> shit on this podcast for starters. Uh, not letting her go in peace. Absolutely not. Her memory should be trashed at every opportunity. Uh, <laughs> that's an exaggeration, of course. But as far as I know, again, I'm not taking this quote out of context. She was as evil a warmonger and a wielder of state power as any other. And uh, I do not mourn her passing. I'll say that much. All right, to so the actual good news. Good news that we've got our fun few headlines we're going to run through. Doomed ship of gold ghostly portrait galleries finally unveiled after surviving for a century on seafloor. That sounds like some piratey shit right there. Every time I hear seafloor, I just think of the epic, epic rap battles of history rhyme. Jacques Cousteau versus uh, the crocodile hunter. <laughs> Was it? Don't go throwing C4 on the seafloor if you want to. If you want to tour, take the or if you want to see the reefs, take the tour. Don't go throwing C4 on the seafloor. Nailed it. Nailed yeah, it. Nailed it. All right. In 1857, the steamboat. Yeah, watch the epic rap battle. 
Yeah. Yeah. What's what's their latest? They got some good news. Uh, it's been a while. Anyway, in eighteen, that's what we're now. That's what we're gonna watch for the evening while we're having dinner. Mm-hmm. Sure, it'll be like nothing but every grab out. I'm good with it. Uh, in eighteen fifty-seven, a steamboat was going down in a storm off the coast of South Carolina, loaded with more gold than had ever been placed on a boat. The passengers chose to take the photographs of family and loved ones before taking their chance with Davy Jones. Thanks to a recent expedition, dozens. Of these 150-year-old glass pane photographs have been recovered. Wow. That's cool. If the Titanic was the ship of dreams, Central America was the ship of gold. And of our 425 lost souls, most were miners returned from California gold fields, wealthy beyond their wildest dreams. That's terrible. Cool that we can find it now. All right. (sighs) Technology, positive stuff. Also, goodnewsnetwork.org. Video game-based stroke therapy. Is as effective as in-person rehab. Yeah, they figured cool. out a way to do that. It's pretty cool. I think it's like Wii and you know, Nintendo Wii moving stuff around. But like stimulating the brain in a targeted way, they can use video games effectively now. I, More effectively I than I've always said video games are effective. Patterns, you learn reaction time. There's just depending on what. And I'm going back to the original Nintendo here. I still think there's always better real-life alternatives, but I can absolutely, that absolutely. All right, goodnewsnetwork.org. Also, carbon negative plant opens in Turkey, turning algae into biojet fuel and so much more. About fucking time we're able to get away with the shit in the shadow of the fossil fuel industry. Yeah, they can't suppress this technology too long. This is this is what we're on the verge of. I mean, like, it, even the idea of alternative energy, like we talk about solar and wind and hydro and uh, geothermal and things like that is sort of like obvious stuff. But then there's these obvious tech of biofuel from algae instead. Oh, oh. fuck. <laughs> okay. Solve that problem. Blah, blah, blah. No, I, I just, I have so much faith in human innovation and, and stories like that, you know, kind of give me hope. Another related story also, Good News Network, new plant-derived sustainable plastic, quote-unquote, is tough as bone and hard as aluminum. Yeah. The strongest part of a That's tree cool. lies not in its trunk or its sprawling roots, but in the walls. Yes, Kitty, I know you're excited about the story, but you're going to have to wait before I feed you. Uh, a single wood cell is constructed from fibers of cellulose, nature's most abundant polymer, and the main structural component of all plants and algae. Within each fiber are reinforcing cellulose nanocrystals, or CNCs, <laughs> which are chains of organic polymers arranged in nearly perfect crystal patterns. Isn't nature amazing? And yeah, now we figured out how to make something that basically works like plastic, made mostly from cellulose nanocrystals mixed with a bit of synthetic polymer. And they're able to do this. The organic crystals take up 60 to 90% of the material, the highest fraction achieved in any composite today. I just, yeah, that's where we are now. Think where we're going to be with composite materials like that in 3D printing, five years, 10 years, different fucking world. And you know, because I'm a tree hugger, I got to share this next headline. Check out these victories for old growth forests worldwide on International Forest Day. I don't even know when that was. Whatever. I don't really care about arbitrary holidays anyway. I just go hug my trees when I feel like it. Another technology. What, puppy? We get the kitties. We're going, the puppies will get to sign off in just a couple minutes. Okay? You magic and dank. You dank magic over there. All right. 
new electric boat just levitated boating to a new level while ending fuel leaks. Yeah. Your dog's a bully. He's bullying the bigger dogs? No, he's bullying his, his sister. Okay, bring him here. Bring me that bully. Come I'll put him in his place. We're almost done. We're going to wrap this up. But please, dear, check, let's check comments and check in with the audience before we spend the evening with our lovely puppy. Like this magic one here. Okay. Two newly identified species of see-through glass frogs found in Ecuador. Amazing photos. Again, go to goodnewsnetwork.org to check it out. Yeah. Just stand in awe of nature. Okay, now standing in awe of technology. Exciting head-tongue controller lets paralyzed patients operate smartphones and drive wheelchairs. And I think about this not just in the, like, it's about fucking time we apply technology to compensate for every human disability that exists today because we're way behind there. But that people who are disabled are being used as the motivation, I don't mean used in a negative way here, but are being used as the motivation for the technology developers to create really incredible brain technology interfaces they're going to leapfrog us non-bionic humans pretty shortly here, right? And eventually this is setting the stage, I think paving the way for humans uploading their brain, uh, consciousnesses into machines or uh, putting our brains directly in, who knows? Um, or maybe wearing just a super exoskeleton suit, something like that. But maybe for a more practical, immediate, nugget of knowledge from Good News Network. This headline, this really speaks to a lot of what I believe in, what I've seen from my background in psychology, from my experience as a psychedelic guy, working with veterans, and, and just in my own experience, being a human with a human brain, and, and how I, over 40 years, okay, I can't say this the whole time, but I have deliberately composed my brain. I have trained it, I have, I have, I have been exercised self-awareness, and I've been empowered by circumstances to have the confidence to say, yes, I can reprogram my brain. And the headline is very simple. Anxiety, it's very popular these days. Anxiety can be a habit, which means we can stop it if we know how. And treating any negative thought patterns like habits that you can change, you can break, you can improve. Very empowering way to live. Finally, last headline, and then we have to smoke weed. And play with puppies, I promise. Or oh, you want you need to go out? Get it? No. All right. Last headline. Dear, are you ready for this? We're talking about COVID. I know you don't talk about COVID. I don't like talking about COVID. This is, this is official. They finally admitted it. This is your last mind fuck of the day. Your moment of zen to end the show. Your great karmic. I told you so. So okay, then. Are you ready, dear? COVID is now less deadly than the flu in England as mask requirements. I like it. I like it. I just want to fly somewhere to just to breathe that disgusting, smelling plane air. Because this is always that. That's the big headline you wanted to get to that we didn't get to today. That the U.S. Senate today voted what 57 to 40 to end the national airline mask mandate. Thank you for bringing that to my attention earlier today. Did I just steal your thunder? Was there anything else you want to say about? No. That? No. All right. This is like an awesome show. Let's get to it. Magic. Magic, how did you like it? Oh, I love it. Look at those pretty eyes. They're going to stay blue. Look at this magical puppy. All right, let's get Joey and Jim up on screen here.
to the next episode. Well, that turns As always, don't forget, join us t.me forward slash Adam versus man. Know everything that goes on with the show the second it goes on with the show. Patreon.com forward slash Adam versus man is where you can financially support the show and Homefront Battle Buddies. Homefrontbattlebuddies.org is where you can donate theft-deductible donations to the best veterans nonprofit organization come up and coming. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope everybody has a great rest of their week, great rest of the great weekend, and a great beginning of the week up until next episode. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Joe, any or Dank, any final thoughts? Has Has puppies. Has puppies. Puppies. Puppies are love multiplying. Puppies for us is the best. So thank you, everybody, for helping put a little extra love into the magic. The magic Kokesh is, is his first name is the middle name Magic, last name Kokesh. He is the Magic Kokesh. And uh, Dan, who is sleeping, full name is the Duchess of Day. Of course. Of course. Royalties match her brother, Sir Squishington Dutch. And with that, finally, we'll end the show with a message from the Magic himself. Peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other.